0: The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Hey Grace, it's good to be back with you guys. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. But before we jump in and dive into the scriptures, I just want to take take a moment and say... And I just, we miss you guys. I was talking with Pastor Grant and Pastor Clint, and it is strange not gathering together for Holy Week. Uh, We're doing the best that we can with all that we're doing right now. But we just wanted to say to you, we miss you. And as we're trying to encourage you, we also want you to know that we have been really encouraged by the emails and everything that you've sent in over the last couple of weeks. So thank you very much for that. We love you guys. So let's do what we're here for. Um, Let's open the Bible right now to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read all of the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to dive in specifically to verse 13. So let's do this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, starts like this. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth." Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, it says this, "'You are the salt of the earth, "'but if the salt loses its saltiness, "'how can it be made salty again? "'It is no longer good for anything "'except to be thrown out and trampled by men.'" All right, let's take a look at this scripture again. Um, I want to just kind of focus at a surface level for a moment, and then I want to dive deep underneath this. So he uses the illustration of salt. Why does he use the illustration of salt? Because in the first century, salt was a commodity that was very important, right? They didn't have refrigeration systems, and so the only way to preserve stuff was to pour salt all over it, right? So it was a very, very valuable commodity. He's saying, look, if you have purchased something valuable, but it doesn't actually produce the effect of what it's supposed to produce, what good is it? So let's dive a little bit deeper in here. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, look, if you and I, and and right now we're kind of at home, and so probably a lot of us are cooking a lot more, and I know for me that I pour salt on everything. Like, except for ham and bacon, I pour salt on everything, even before I taste it. Why? Because everything's better, saltier, all right? So he's saying here, the salt has to perform the function of being salty, and if it doesn't perform the function that it was created for, then it's really purposeless. All right so he says this let's take dive a little bit deeper but if the salt that's the church loses its saltiness in other words if the church loses its distinctiveness if individuals in the church of christians do not do and become what christians are supposed to do and become then we lose our purpose we lose our tethering our mooring right people ask the question sometimes they'll say pastor mike uh, does our purpose flow out of who we are, or does what we do actually produce our purpose? And I actually think it's the former. I think our purpose flows out of who we are. We're going into Holy Week right now, and we see that Jesus did some incredible things. But why did he do them? Because Jesus was unique. There was something about Jesus. He was God and man together. In theology, we call this the hypostatic union of Christ. In other words, it is divinity and humanity fused together. He was fully God and fully man. And because he was this person, he was in a unique position to do something that was impossible that no one before him or after him would ever be able to do. And that was, he would be able to sacrifice his life and the father would be able to raise him from the dead because he lived a sinless life. And that sinless life was then applied to our accounts so that we could have salvation and stand before the Father. No sacrificial system, no sacrifices, no self-effort on our part. Nothing would ensure for us a place with the Father, a place in heaven. But God himself comes down, puts on flesh. Jesus walks among us, teaches us, lives with us. It was out of who he was that the sacrifice was made. In very much the same way, Jesus says, look, salt, the church... And individuals in the church will lose our distinctiveness, our saltiness, unless we live according to what we were created to be. So let's take a look at that. And I want to do, I'm gonna run through some scriptures right now. We're gonna go all over the Bible here. We're gonna start all the way back, if you will, in Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, right? This is the creation of man. Verse seven starts like this. It says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Some of your translations may actually say a living soul. The Hebrew word there is nefesh. In other words, Adam came alive. So, so let me show you the picture right here. Before this, God creates all kinds of things, both the heavens and the earth, right? He creates both what is seen and what is unseen. And in doing so, he does it in a very specific way. He speaks the universe into existence. So we have mountains. Why? Because the Father executing the power and authority of God says mountains. The oceans exist because he says oceans. The desert exists because he says desert. It is God creating, and here's a Latin phrase for this, ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was nothing. God creates, and all of a sudden there is something. But there's something different about verse 7. It's more intimate. It's more close. There's more care that seems to take place. When God creates before this, he's executing the power of God. It shows his authority, his greatness, his his mightiness, and his strength. Whereas this reveals the intimacy of God. God formed Adam. So there is personalness to this. He takes the dust of the ground. He creates the dust as well, but he takes the dust. He forms Adam like the potter forms the clay and Adam is laid out before him, and then God breathes into him, right? The word in Hebrew here is ruach. It is the breath of God, and Adam (gasps) comes alive, and he's a living soul for the very, very first time. Here's what I want you to see in all of this, and I think what the writer of Genesis wants us to understand is that God gave us life. And Now, listen, if you grew up in the church, you know that. I mean, that's like Christianity 101, But I want to look at it from a little bit of a different perspective for a moment. See, God is the life giver. And not only is he the life giver, but he's the life sustainer. He's the one that continues every single synapse that fires in our brains. Every rhythmic beat of our heart comes from him. Every moment we breathe unconsciously, he continues to sustain that life. God is the one that brings life to us. So I want, you to, I want you to see something here. Um, let's just go down a couple of verses here to verse 15, and let's continue this creation story. It says this, the Lord God took the man out and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So first we see God creates Adam, right? And now he's giving Adam his purpose, right? And that is, I want you to take care of the garden. We'll come back and let's read verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. All right, well, let's take a look at verse 15 for a second. He says, listen, I'm going to put you in the Garden of Eden, and I want you to take care of it. So Adam had a purpose. He actually was called by God to steward and watch over creation in any way he saw fit. But he goes. He says here in in, in verse 17, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you do, you will die. Now, sometimes these two verses, verses 16 and 17, cause some controversy because people ask the question, like, why did God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden? See, I want, you to, I want to flip the equation for a moment. See, God wasn't restricting Adam's freedom by doing that. Actually, what he was doing was ensuring God, uh, Adam's freedom. See, he said, listen, 99.9% of everything in this garden you get to enjoy this in any way that you see fit, Adam, but this one thing I want to hold back from you because when you do this one thing, you're going to die. And so, so what we see here taking place is that the writer of Genesis is placing in great contrast God as the life giver and the freedom bringer and sin as the death bringer and freedom taker. I want you to think about that for a moment. God says, I want you to do anything that you want with the creation except for this one thing. It's not that he was trying to restrict his freedom. It's that he was defining his freedom. In very much the same way, when we live our lives right now, God's word and God's commands to us do exactly that. They bring life and they bring freedom to us. They don't restrict our life and they don't restrict our freedom. In fact, it's our sinful choices that actually restrict our life and restrict our freedom. And so I want to encourage you that no matter where you are right now in life, as we're thinking about how God created us, as we're thinking about what God does for us, it all comes out of who he created us to be. And that comes to us in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27. Verse 27 says this, So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what does that mean? It means this. God created us in his image. And because of that, we don't have to go look for purpose. Right now, people are asking some questions. They're asking like, what am I supposed to do right now? And if I can't do anything right now, because we're such a doer-oriented culture, if I can't do something right now, does that diminish me and does that diminish my purpose? Absolutely not, is the answer to that. See, even though you might be stuck in your home right now and you may not be able to do all the things that you were able to do before, your purpose doesn't come out of just what you do, right? It comes out of who you were created to be. And in Genesis 1.27, it says this. It says, you were created to bear the image of God, to reflect the image of God. You were created in his image, male and female. Now, what we just learned a moment ago in an earlier verse is this, that when we sin, we become a little bit less like God we become a little less free, we become a little bit less whole. In fact, we become a little bit more broken. At the end of that equation is death. And so God who comes to us, and this is what he does, God who comes to us brings life and he brings freedom. And that life and freedom is based upon his character and his nature. So my job is not to create myself, it's to discover who I am in Christ. It's discover who I am in God. And the more that I'm able to do that, and it doesn't require the circumstances of a normal life to do that. In fact, it doesn't require anything. It just requires me to take a moment and reflect what does God's word say about who I am and what I'm supposed to do? Because the more, my, watch this, the more that my life conforms to his life, the happier that I am, the more joyful that I am, the more fulfilled that I am. But watch this. When I deviate from that plan and I start moving in a direction that goes different than God, what ends up happening to me is I become less free. There's less life inside my heart. See, you don't need right now to be governed by the circumstances and you certainly don't need to be listening to everybody's doomsday um, prophecies that are out there. Guys, um, I'm, I'm asked almost daily uh, because people are not sure how to ask, answer the question. Is this the apocalypse? Is this the end of time? I just want you to know- I I don't believe that's the case but but here's the thing the Bible says Jesus doesn't even know the day of his return here but the father does and so here's what I would say to you here's how you're going to know right you're going to hear a huge horn up in the sky and when you hear that look up but until then let's just keep doing what we're called to do we're called right now to be like god and we can do that why because we were created like god we we're created in his image to reflect his glory and his goodness When Jesus took on flesh, he actually had that same kind of thing happen to him as well. Remember, before, Jesus takes on flesh, you know, just like the Father, he's a spirit, right? And so when he comes down and he takes on flesh, this is what Hebrews chapter 1, 3 says about him. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. What does that mean? The exact image of God. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What does that mean? That means that Jesus himself is an image bearer of his father. His humanity was perfectly oriented in such a way that what what could he do? He could make purification for sins. And so after he makes purification for sins, he sits down at the right hand of the father. Colossians 1.15 says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It's one of my favorite verses. Let me tell you why. Because this idea of Jesus as the firstborn is like this. Jesus dies. He lives a sinless life, dies, and is resurrected by the Father. And now he is the new Adam. He is the firstborn of all creation. We don't have to look to the brokenness Of our first parent, Adam. We don't have to look to the one who gave in to weakness and lost his freedom and lost his life. We can look to the one who lived a sinless life with perfect freedom and perfect happiness. And now we get to focus our attention on that. But there are some obstacles in relation to that as well. Like sometimes we struggle to live that life that God has placed inside of us to conform ourselves to his image. Ephesians four twenty two through 24 gives us a glimpse of this. It says this in verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and true holiness. So I want you to say, see, first of all, that it starts here by saying you were taught. This is one of the reasons why we gather together as a church. We need to be taught. We need to recognize that there was a former way of life that we once lived that is not the life that God has for us. That life was less free, and that life was less happy, and that life, ultimately, is not where life really is. But when our life begins to conform to who God is, we have more freedom and more joy and more life, and we're happier in the process, right? He says, why is that the case though? Why do, we, why do we fall short in those ways with our old self? Well, because it's being corrupted by the deceitful desires inside of us. But we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. We need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. And that's gonna be something that we're gonna come back to in just a moment. So verse 24 says, and we need to put on the new self created to be like God. So the way that Paul's describing this is, is it's almost like a garment that we get to take this old life and we're just going to discard it, right? We're going to take these clothes off, we're going to discard this. This is not who we are anymore. But we're going to remember that we're creating the image of God for God, for the purposes that he's created us for. We're going to put that stuff on, that new life, and that new life is to live like God. So our purpose right now, our purpose is to take our next step toward Christ, this, this season of kind of being in isolation right now, it's hard, there's no doubt about it. As an extrovert, sometimes I feel like I'm losing my mind. I'm crawling the walls sometimes, just ask my wife. But with that said, like our job right now, has our, our purpose has nothing to do, has nothing to do with the circumstances outside of us. Has everything to do with us being the people that God's called us to be, to be image bearers of, of him. That means that in this season, I'm gonna respond to my kids like Jesus, That means I'm going to respond to my wife like Jesus. That means I'm going to respond to the church like Jesus. We're going to do the best that we can in that way. We're never going to do it perfectly. We're going to fall short for sure. And so I don't want to put that expectation in your heart. What I do want to do is simply to say, hey, let's do our best to look like Jesus in this season. And doing that is what we were called to do. Doing that is who we were called to be. The scriptures go on, and I want you to to see this as we move on. Let's look again at verse 13. 13 says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? In other words, when we get off track, it's very hard to get back on track. If we make purposeful decisions to walk away from God, not to live the life that is life in God, it becomes very difficult for us to turn back around, right? We talked about that before. It's spiritual drift, right? So here's what we're supposed to do, right? We are supposed to what? remember who we are. Salt is only purposeful if it's salty. We have to remember who we are in Christ, that God died for us. He lives in us, through us, not just for ourselves, but for everyone else. Okay, so here's how we're going to end. I want to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. It says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of god which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in christ jesus i want you to look at verse 6 with me again this is what it says don't be anxious now that's that's a that's a command that he says i don't want you to be anxious why well because in every single situation and that includes the situation that we're in right now we can pray to god we have someone who can resource us in times like this. We're going to present our, our petitions before him. We're getting prayer requests all the time, and we're praying for you guys all the time. We're going to present those requests to God, and here's what's going to happen. They're not just going to hit the ceiling and bounce off. God's going to hear them, and with thanksgiving in our hearts, trusting that he's going to hear our prayers, we're going to present those requests to God, and what's going to happen? The peace of God which transcends all understanding. Do you know what transcends all understanding means? It means that a peace is gonna come to us from God and that peace is not gonna make sense given the circumstances that we're in right now. It doesn't make sense when you're sick to feel peaceful. It doesn't make sense when the economy around us seems to be crashing. It doesn't make sense when we're afraid to be peaceful but the Bible says that we will get the peace of God which transcends all understandings. And what will it do? It will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, right? So verses eight, it says this. Now, this is what we do, right? That's what God did for us. This is what we're gonna do. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, implicit in that statement is that we're not going to let our minds just run around being filled by everyone else and all kinds of fear and all kinds of worry. So what we have to do is we have to focus ourselves, right? We have to think about things that are true, not lies, not fantasies about what's going to happen in the future or what's not going to happen. Whatever is noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So, we're going to take our hearts and our minds and we're going to focus. Last week, I told you this. I want you to try, get out of your own head. I want you to start praying and thinking about those who live under these kind of circumstances all the time. So, we're going to lift up the third world. We're going to lift up those under persecution all over the world. And right now, here's what we're going to do we're going to fix our eyes on those things that are helpful to us. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and this person was just detailing to me how people were dying of this terrible virus. And I'm going to spare you the details of that. But I asked the person at the end of the conversation, I said, why do you know all that detail? And the person said to me, he said, you know, I study this because I want to know what's going to happen. And I'm like, I don't want you to do that anymore. It makes you fearful and worried and anxious. And here's the reality. You don't know that that's going to happen to you or anyone that you even know. So don't allow your head to be poisoned with wrong information. You have to think about things that are beautiful, lovely, things that are admirable. Why? Because as we fill our hearts and minds with these things, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's how the Apostle Paul ends this entire thing. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I want you to notice that was conditional. He said this, the God of peace will be with you if... You put this into practice. So church, I want to challenge you right now. Put these things into practice. Don't just let your mind float in any and every direction. You were created by God to reflect the glory of Almighty God. And that's our purpose. And it doesn't change when the circumstances change around us. Grace, I love you guys. We're grateful for you. Amen? Amen.